This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast with Julie Brauman, Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball proposed cutting the salaries of the highest played players in baseball. Still no deal and a growing frustration on the part of the fans. You cannot be fighting right now in this environment where we have unemployment where it is, where we have people hurting the way they do. You will do irreparable damage to the sport. And Drew catches up with former Rockies batting champion Michael Kadire. We loved it there, man. Those three years that we were there, the city, the people, the the camaraderie, we loved how active the city was and driving into the stadium every day. I loved driving by Wash Park. I loved being there. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast with Julie Brownman. Yep, that's right. It is the Drew Goodman Podcast with Julie Brownman. Drew, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I don't want to say I'm hanging in there because I told you last week that I've used that phrase now more in the last 10 weeks uh-huh. than I have my entire life. So I'm saying, you know what? I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm trying to find um, I'm trying to find the silver lining each day. Uh-huh. And I'm so thankful we live in Colorado where it's bright, sunshiny days other than yesterday or Sunday, I should say, um, every day. And that has been great. So I'm hanging in. How about you? I, I said I wasn't going to say that. Excuse me. I'm doing um, well. How are you? I'm, I am good. Um, like you said, it's time to get out and about, right? It's time to just get outside and get to the mountains and do all that stuff. So yeah, no, things are good. I mean, no complaints. I mean, we can always complain, which we will do, you know, maybe. Confetching. You and I both have Jewish backgrounds. <laughs> this is the Yiddish word is kefetching, right? Let's <laughs> that is, It's a great word. There's so many great Yiddish words. I know. That is um, one of them. So instead of what's hot by boyers, we could do like, let's kefetch. Um, uh, yeah, maybe. Maybe. Okay. Hey, Julie, before we get into Major League Baseball, and I want to tell everybody our, our special guest is, and this, this guest accomplishes a couple of things. It's a where are they now mm-hmm. guest, and also a guest that is going to give you some background on the Major League Baseball negotiations and so many other topics. Uh, one of one of my all-time favorite players uh, in my broadcasting career, Michael Kadire. Cuddy, Michael Kadire will be with us uh, a, little, a little bit. Why was he one of your all-time favorites? I always liked him, but I didn't get to know him like you did. Well, he's a grown-up. He's bright. He, he was fun to be around. He was engaging. Uh, He was, you know, seemingly always in a good mood. Mm -hmm. He, he, he just, I start out the interview, Julie, and I kid him. I said, I always refer to you as the adult in the room. Not that other guys weren't, but Cuddy truly is one of my all time favorite guys. He's up there with cargo. Just, you know, he he was a good guy to be around. He made you feel good and and didn't make you feel like oh boy this guy doesn't want you know me to come up and ask him a question or whatever. Right. And he was engaging and articulate on, on a variety of topics, which you'll hear uh, in a little bit. But I want to start with what we witnessed on Sunday. It was another made for television sporting event i put that in air quotes but the golf match julie with with tiger playing with peyton manning mm-hmm. and you had brady joining phil mickelson i know you watched it didn't you i did watch it and i loved it and i'm not a huge huge golf person but i loved 
I mean, the names, obviously, that was fun seeing, you know, those guys play. But I thought the what they did, like miking everybody up, having the camera in the cart. I love that part. Like, I loved hearing what Phil had to say, because I think Peyton, to me, is great. He's entertaining. He's a he's a little rehearsed where Phil, I just think, is Phil. He's just kind of this goofy guy. I thought it was great entertainment. And they were dollars. They made 20 million for COVID uh related charities mm-hmm. which is you know the number one great thing that uh comes out of this i'm with you i was thoroughly entertained i sat on the couch with my oldest jacob we watched for whatever it was like five hours those poor guys were getting poured on it was it was good theater and it made me think of a couple of things number one even when we get all of our sports back and the menu is full I don't know why we can't occasionally do this. People always want to get behind the ropes. And so infrequently, are you allowed behind the ropes? Mm -hmm. Why can't you have events like this with entertaining greats? And golf is perfect because so many athletes and and celebrities play golf. And you can mix in having great pros like Tiger and Phil playing with, you know, two other guys from entertainment and so I think it works even if we weren't in this pandemic. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. And I actually do think because, you know, the ratings were, you know, tremendous for obvious reasons. But I do think the sports world takes notice, is going to take notice of what was different about it and uh, and apply that. I think golf really needs that too, because one of the reasons why, I mean, Tiger's an amazing golfer, but he's also different. He's different than what you normally see out there, right? So Golf needs that if they want, I think, to increase their audience. And I think that's a perfect way incorporating some of that stuff or having different kinds of matches like you talked about to get people talking about golf again. It was the highest rated golf event ever on cable television. Now, before you say, well, I always watch Saturday and Sunday of the Masters at CBS and, you know, it's always on network television Saturday and Sunday. Yes. But keep in mind, Fox FS1 has aired the opening rounds of the U.S. Open. ESPN airs uh, extended coverage of the opening rounds now of the Masters. So to eclipse the numbers you're getting on majors Mm -hmm. tells you the, the star power involved, but even more importantly, how starved we are for sports of any kind. And the other thing I thought about, well, I thought about many things when watching this, Julie, but I want to hear your opinion on this. Can we can we move past the stuffy, archaic dress rules of golf when it's 95 degrees and they're playing in Florida? Can they can they wear shorts? They're athletes now. It's not like you're stuffing shorts on on our old friend Craig Stadler. I mean, come on, man. No, it's hot out there. They don't have to be in in uh, in in slacks. Right. This is 1974. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, sometimes when you guy wear, who's the guy that wears like pink slacks? Oh, you th- that's um, Ricky. He wears, he wears colorful outfits. Yeah. Anything different, I think um, is a good thing. So, okay. So let's get to what we have to get to. I was hoping we'd have a better news because we talked about that last week that maybe in a couple of weeks to have good news. Negotiations still going on between Major League Baseball, talking about when 
Baseball's coming back. The latest news, and this just happened, is that uh, Major League Baseball proposed cutting the salaries of the highest played players in baseball. So how's that going to go over, Drew? Well, let's remind people, we tape this uh, early in the week. So we're taping this on Tuesday evening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you may be listening to this next weekend and hopefully you're saying, hey, they they worked everything out. And, and Julie and I are talking about day one. But that's where we are right now. And so we're going to begin with what was leaked out. And before I talk about the particulars of what was leaked out, this is bad. I went off on this last week. You can't leak information. I, I think one of the great strengths of Jeff Breidich, and people can criticize him all they want. Most general managers take a great deal of criticism, and that's fine. It comes with the territory, and you have to know that when you go into it. But Jeff never ever lets information out who they're talking to from a trade standpoint, who they're negotiating with. He keeps it close to the vest. And then if something materializes and ultimately gets done, that's when we hear about it. Now, is it as much fun for people in the media like you and me or for hardcore fans that are thirsting for inside knowledge? No, it's not. But you know what? It benefits no one, especially in this situation, to have information leaked out. And I mean this to both sides. I mean, if you're trying to curry favor with the general public, there'll be the occasional person that says, oh, you know what? I think the owners are being unfair. I think that's an unreasonable proposal. Or they'll say the players are being greedy. Yeah, you'll have a few people sound off. But by and large, people don't care, especially now, Julie. They don't care. Get your shit together and get out on the field. Tell us when you have it done, and that's it. You cannot be fighting right now in this environment where we have unemployment where it is, where we have people hurting the way they do. You can't have it. You will do, as I said last week, irreparable damage to the sport. And even if you bicker for a week or 10 days and ultimately reach a a verdict that, that gets them back on the field and, you know, they come together, which I still believe they will. You can do damage along the path if it is negotiated outside of the conference rooms or the Zoom calls that they're they should be engaging on. And, and I, I I sound that I feel strongly on that. I think you can hear that in my voice. I agree that you get things done a lot quicker when things don't get leaked out to the media. But you're talking about you're right, Jeff Breidich. Much to our chagrin, for reporters, you want to know things. He doesn't tell media anything, really, until he has to. But you're dealing with so many more people. You're dealing with two bigger sides. It's kind of inevitable in this world that there's going to be a source, in quotes, about what's going on. That's going to happen. There's just too many people for it not to happen. If it's one person or two parties, I get it. But we're just going to find out every day somebody's opinion on this stuff. And I would say this too, this is what's frustrating as a baseball fan, that baseball has this wonderful chance to swoop in around July 4th and pick up all of our spirits, whether we're at the games or not. We can watch baseball on TV in the summer, which baseball should be playing. But you know what? The NHL now is kind of swooping in and taking those, that, spotlight the headlines because they just announced today that they're coming back no date yet but they're going to do it where they're coming back right to the playoffs and they're talking about that 
I'm excited about way more excited about that than two sides bickering about coming back. Absolutely. And in any saw any individual on either side that thinks that they are swaying public opinion or or producing great sympathy in numbers is foolish. And that is another huge reason that you need to keep this behind closed doors. And initially in any negotiation, you're going to start at a a hopeful place where you may know in reality they're never going to accept that. And it may, that first offer or even second offer may enrage certain people. That's, again, uh, another of the thousand reasons why you don't want it played out publicly. That's what happens in negotiation. And you counter and then they counter and then you counter and try to find some common ground. You work through your issues and you get it done. There is no alternative. You can't have a lockout. You cannot have a work stoppage in this environment. And it's that simple. And to your point, they still have a great opportunity to come in and produce really good numbers mm-hmm. from a television standpoint and really get people reengaged with the sport. And yeah. uh, I hope that is not lost on, on the parties negotiating. I wouldn't think it is, but it's never fun when you get on social media and, and then you read the doom and gloom, whether it be from some players or fans who are following it, or even some fans who are saying, I'm done. I cannot believe they're even arguing and and I'm already done, which, you know, again, you you read so many different things on social media, but um, I'm getting redundant. Uh, You know know how I feel on this and uh, they just have, they have to figure it out and they have to figure it out quickly. All right, let's lighten the mood because coming up next, we're going to talk to a good friend of yours, Michael Kadire. Really, really a great, just a great dude. I don't even know what he's doing now. So we're going to find out, you know, what is he doing now? But first, we want to tell you about Boyer's. Marky will do that. Boyer's Coffee is back and wants to thank you, our Colorado community, for all the love and support over the years. And especially as Boyer's rebuilds their Denver roastery. Support Boyer's Coffee, the legendary Rocky Mountain roaster. Pick up a bag of freshly roasted coffee in your local grocery store. Marky Mark, thanks, buddy. You are absolutely right. Boyer's Coffee is awesome. So are our friends at Ideal Home Loans. Give them a call, 303-867-7000, 303-867-7000. It is a marvelous time to refinance your home. I'm about to do it. I just did a mortgage with them not too long ago, but you're going to save more money because interest rates are at historic lows right now, and you got to take advantage. If you have some debt, give them a call. They will find the, the perfect balance for you, the perfect um, piece for you. They're going to listen and then they're going to lend and they're outstanding at what they do. That's why we brag on them uh, every week. And they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They've been involved with the Rockies for a number of years. Brent Ivinson and his crew will take wonderful care of you. Give them a shout, 303-867-7000, 303-867-7000. And as always, they bring us our interview of the week. And it is the aforementioned for batting champion with the Colorado Rockies and uh, a multiple all-star player in his career, Michael Kadire. Well, it's always good to hook up with uh, a guy I used to refer to. You probably don't even know this, Cuddy. I used to refer to you as an adult. In a, in a, <laughs> and you know how I mean that. I mean, I, I have great respect, as you know, for all the guys who play the game and how difficult it is. And uh, But but you, you were always uh, the adult in the room. And... Um, 
I, I, that's not a backhanded shot at any of your teammates. It's a compliment to you. I appreciate that. Thanks, Drew. Everything going well, man? Yeah. Um, I, I, I said this to you earlier. I'll repeat it. I've used this term uh, hanging in there more in the last two months than I, than I have, I think, in my entire life. And I think most people can relate to that. How about you guys? Same, same. We're doing well. You know, I'm a, I'm a second grade teacher now. I'm a, eight, a sixth grade teacher now. I'm a, you know, we're, we're slowly here in Virginia. We're slowly getting back into with baseball practice. We're allowed to practice in like groups of six and seven. Yeah. So, so we're, we're coaching now a little bit and, you know, we're, we're still trying to find our grooves. We're, we're just like everybody else. Yeah. It's, um, it really is a, a strange period. And, uh, I have said this too many times that when the history of the 21st century is written, this will not be a footnote. 2020 uh, will have a, a big, enormous chapter of its own. Absolutely, no, no doubt. We, uh, you know, I was just telling that to uh, to somebody the other day. Think of everything that we've been able to witness um, in our lifetime with 9/11 and this pandemic and some people, you know, wars and it's just, it's a, uh, it's crazy. It's a crazy time to rewrite history books. Yeah. No, th- that is uh that is the absolute truth. What are you up to now? What, what occupies uh, normally if we were not going through this pandemic, you've been retired for a few years, what occupies your time in addition to, to raising three kids? Yeah, well, I am employed by the twins, Minnesota twins still. So I'm a special assistant to baseball operations with them. And, um, you know, it's kind of – it's myself, LaTroy Hawkins, who you know really well, um, Justin Morneau, who you know really well, and uh, and Tori Hunter. We're, the four of us got hired back in 2016, I believe. And um, so it, it, we're kind of like consultants for the whole baseball department, so to speak. And as a matter of fact, with, with the, our newfound ways of communicating through this pandemic, um, I've been able to do quite a bit of work. For, for them with Zoom meetings and group meetings. So in that respect, it's, it's been kind of good and kind of refreshing that I'm still around the game and I can still talk about our minor league guys and, um, you know, different things like that. So uh, that's what I'm doing professionally. And other than that, taking like you said, taking care of the kids and helping coach, whether it's baseball or basketball or whatever the case is. So. Just taking it easy. You know, the, the Twins have always been, I think, not only an interesting operation, but uh, an exceptionally well-run operation. And, you know, four iconic former Twins in the group that you mentioned, These, this is not from what I've understood in talking to you briefly in the past about this and also uh, in talking to Hawk about it. This is not like an honorary type of position. I mean, they really solicit uh, your opinions on, on, I assume, various topics. Is that accurate? Absolutely. And, and really, that was the only way with, that we were going to take the job. I mean, we weren't we weren't going to be one of the you know quote unquote ambassadors of the team, where you know you fly us in for a, a special weekend and we do some photo ops and stuff. We truly wanted to be part of the organization again. At least I did. I mean, that was that was kind of what I, I what I wanted to do. And you know, it kind of allowed us to get in and find our niche, and whether it be scouting for the draft or, you know, opinions on who we should pick or minor league, uh, you know, development, player development side, and all the way up to free agencies and trades. So they, they kind of pick our brain and, you know, we give them what we think and what we what we know, and they take that information and do what they need to with it. 
does it pique your interest more being involved to, you know, perhaps one day when the when the kids are off in, in college to say, hey, I wouldn't mind, uh, you know, running an operation, having a more significant role um, or, or is it just, hey, this is enough and, and uh, I'll leave it at that? Yeah, I mean, right now, I think uh, this is obviously this is enough with the, the three young kids. Um, you know, just getting getting to next school year is is a challenge enough to think about. You know, ten fifteen years down the road, who knows what what, what life will throw at me and where we'll be. So, but but I, I like you know being involved still. I, I like having my my finger on the pulse of of the organization and what's going on. And you know, we've got an exciting exciting group once we do be, be able to get back out on the field. Yeah, listen, you and Morneau and, and Tori would have fit right in because all you guys did were bang homers last year. <laughs> I don't know, man. Not at that rate. Those guys were un- unbelievable last year. That was crazy. Every every time I check a box score or give a give a score on the air, it was the Twins hit six bombs that night. It was ridiculous. It was nuts. Absolutely. Hey, listen, we're, we're all trying to uh, – you know, get Major League Baseball back on the field. You, you read everything that comes across uh, the internet and and social media, and you have an interesting perspective because you played for 15 years. You were a player rep, I think. You know, a half a dozen of those years. You now work on the, you know, on management side. So overall, when as, as of this taping, they're still trying to work through the economic piece, and unfortunately, some of it's playing out publicly. What's your overall take as we chat today? Well, you know, obviously, I miss baseball, just like everybody else. Um, you know, there's a lot of things I miss right now. I miss being able to go to my favorite restaurant and sit in, and sit in the dining room and, and hang out with my friends over a nice dinner. Um, I obviously miss watching the game. I miss – there's so many things I wish I could do that, unfortunately, I can't do right now. And, you know, I think these players are, are kind of in that same boat. And we're all still trying to navigate the waters of what's safe, what's not safe, how can we um, proceed with things. I think all major corporations are doing the same thing with are we able to return to the office, uh, when are we able to turn return to the office, so what – percentage occupancy are we able to return to the office so every every corporation every industry every business is trying to navigate these waters and baseball is no different and right now with with both sides obviously with the owners and the union they're trying to navigate those waters as best as they can too um, who knows if it's going to get done we'll see uh, i'm hopeful i think everybody is hopeful um, you know players want to play Owners want their players to play. It's just a matter of coming up with an agreement. And, um, you know, that's that's in any walk of life whenever you have labor and labor unions. Right. Do, do you think they understand? And it's probably somewhat of an unfair question because you're I'm soliciting one person's opinion and trying to uh, ascertain thoughts of, you know, a pool much, much larger than that on the player side, certainly, and on the ownership side, not as many. But, uh, you know, you have – 30 owners that given the not only the national situation we're in, but the worldwide situation we're in with the unemployment rate being the highest in history, um, depression era numbers, et cetera, that people and forgive my language, do not give a shit 
about <laughs> millionaires and billionaires arguing they need a diversion uh, at night when they come home or for the people that aren't leaving their homes and for many others who work in baseball, my hands raised, um, that they don't they don't want to know the particulars, but they have to get it done. Otherwise, irreparable, truly irreparable damage will be done to this game. Well, I mean, obviously, yeah, I think they definitely understand that. I think both sides are fully aware of that. Um, I think both sides have, have been fully aware of those ramifications throughout the history of the game. Um, it obviously hasn't stopped work stoppages in the past. Fortunately, there have, there have been few and far between. But when there has been work stoppages, it's uh, it's been, like you said, irreparable damages. And it's taken a long, long time for baseball to get back on its feet and um, and get people back interested in watching the game. And this unique situation is – is taking that to another level. Um, yeah, obviously people don't care. They don't want to hear the fights. They don't want to hear, you know, millionaires against billionaires. But at the end of the day, it's a reality. It, it is a reality that they're going to fight and they're going to, um, you know, stand their ground at the same time, still trying to work for the same common goal, and that's to get out on the baseball field. But both sides are going to have to agree that, that they um, – are, are in it together. And, and when that happens, hopefully it will happen. We'll be able to see baseball get back on, on the field and, um, you know, hopefully not have a work stoppage here at the end of the year after the pandemic is over, too. As someone who paid very close attention to these proceedings when you were playing, and I'm still uh, sure you are now because you are, as we were discussing, involved in the game, being in the Minnesota Twins front office, do, do you find – it frustrating when information is leaked as opposed to we don't hear anything in five days from now, uh, there's a joint uh, statement released that we've come to an agreement and, you know, camps are opening on June 10th, et cetera. But when information's leaked, it just, I, I don't think it benefits anybody. Do you? Agreed completely. And I think that's the biggest issue. That's the biggest problem is that, you know, outside of, of a few people, you don't hear many players and owners complaining. I mean, there's nobody's, nobody's really complaining. It's just when information gets leaked, it gives the appearance of people complaining. Um, you know, I think both sides understand what needs to get done. Um, it's just unfortunate that sometimes, you know, some of those talks get leaked out, whether it's from whichever side, and then it gets reported and gets thrown out there. And then that allows fans to make their own opinions, which sometimes is tough and sometimes it's detrimental um, because truly we don't know the conversations that are going on. No, it, listen, you're a sharp dude. If you, has it run through your mind at all? You know, here's what I'd propose if I was on Tony Clark's side, or here's what I'd propose from an ownership perspective that would hopefully pacify mo both sides. Has, have you come up with anything? I haven't, man. I've tried. I, I, I think, uh, you know, at some point, you know, they're just going to they're going to have to agree to, uh, you know, concede whatever side, whatever's going on. Both sides are going to have to give and take. There's, there's just no question about that. And like I said, I hope it gets done. But, you know, for me to, to kind of pull like a Bryce Harper and put a whole plan together, man, I'm not that smart. <laughs> And, you know, who, who knows if he is either in, in that regard. <laughs> did, did it 
again, you played for a long time, and I know you have an allegiance to, to the guys that go between the white lines and all that you have to do to, to reach this level and stick around at this level, et cetera. Uh, did it irk you at all when Blake Snell said what he did a week and a half ago? I think the delivery of it. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say what he said, the content necessarily, but the delivery of it. You know, you're playing a PlayStation game or an Xbox game, whatever it is, and just the, the you know, I, I am that whole forum is kind of lost on me anyway. Yeah, uh, I'm a little more, I'm a little more private of a of a person, but you know, I'm also not going to ridicule him because that's his arena. That's what he he enjoys doing. He's probably done and been in that forum quite a bit. Um, for me, I probably would pick a different route to to make my my statement. Right. Let's move on. You played a long time. You had a terrific career, over 300 doubles, uh, almost a couple hundred homers, almost 800 ribbies. You were an all-star. You won a batting title, silver slugger. Uh, I know fans out here remember fondly uh, your three years with the Rockies and, and capturing a batting title. And I think if memory serves me right, you had the longest hitting streak of your career with the Rockies as well. Is that right? I did, I did, and Nolan went outdid me by one the next year. It was it was the very next year. That's right. You went twenty. Yeah. You went twenty seven games, right? And then he went twenty eight. I was like, man, it, 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 the, the Dante got to hold it for like twenty years. I got to hold it for not even a full one. Yeah, that's not right. That's not right. What, what what did you before we talk about the bigger picture from your three years in Colorado? What what did you enjoy most? What did you take away from that experience? Oh man, I tell you one thing. I, my wife and I say this all the time. Had, had, if we had not had roots here in Virginia, I could definitely see myself living in Denver. We loved it there, man. Those three years that we were there, the city, the people, um, the atmosphere, the, the camaraderie. I, we loved how active the city was. Um, you know, I loved driving to the ballpark. I lived over um, by GU and driving into the stadium every day. I loved driving by Wash Park. And, yeah, I just lo- I loved being there. And um you know, so I, I, I say that to whoever will listen, that everybody asks me where my favorite place to play was, our favorite place to live was, and Denver was my favorite my favorite of the cities that I played in to live in, for sure. Yeah, and a lot of uh, former, not just baseball players, you know this, a lot of former athletes uh, yeah. end up moving to Denver because it's, uh, I always tell people, this is one of the best kept secrets in, in, the, in the country, it'll always... Cuddy, you'll be watching Monday Night Football in October, and it'll snow, and people are like, who would live there? And yet I never look at the weather because we have more sunny days than Maui. It's beautiful every day. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. No question. Yeah, pe- people don't realize that. Um, and I tell you what, too, uh, not to cut you off. Um, no. You know, and I've told you this before uh, when I was playing there. So my son, when we were there, in Colorado, my son, he was, he was, I thought he was four years old, five years old, and six years old. And people marveled at the fact that he knew baseball. Like he knew, you know, at three years old, what a walk was. He knew what an intentional walk was. He knew double plays. He knew all this. Well, I sure as heck wasn't around to teach him. And my wife, he would quiz my wife, and my wife wouldn't know these answers. So, and I'm not just saying this as I'm talking to you. He learned baseball from you. He learned baseball from Huey. He learned baseball from Jenny and Spilly. And that's another thing that I, I will take with me for the rest of my life is you guys were so good at teaching the game on air 
especially for three years where we weren't really that good. <laughs> so to be able to do that for a three, four, and five-year-old to be able to now learn the game, I'm, I'm also eternally grateful for that as well. Well, I appreciate that thought, and I certainly will pass that along. And you know what? I, I always felt like, and you're, you're doing, uh, as we talked about, working for the Twins, but to me, there's certain guys you come across that if they so desire to go into a broadcast booth, it's an absolute no-brainer. And, you know, you're one of those guys. Is that uh, – I know you've dabbled a little bit um, since your playing career, but is that something that, that intrigues you at all? It does. Um, and I have. I've, I've dabbled with it. And, um, you know, actually the Twins have offered me – that Morneau's doing a sort of fabulous job of it now, but the Twins yeah. have offered a few times. But, you know, I think when I, when I retired, um, you know, obviously it was well documented. I had one year left on my contract. And I did that because I wanted to be closer to family. And once I didn't have to travel anymore, I've kind of gotten used to not having to travel anymore. So, you know, I, I still would love to to maybe broadcast games, and, and I still love talking the game of baseball. But I, I am still a little burnt out of the travel. And yeah. um, so, you know, and that's that's where I respect everybody. And that's, and that's the other thing, too, is like when we talk about this, it's not just the players that are going to be, you know, going to different cities, everybody that's involved in, in traveling with the club day in and day out is also going to be, you know, still traveling. So uh, that's, that's one, that's probably been the biggest factor of me not getting involved in that side of the game. Yeah. I told somebody the other day, it's been uh 70 some odd days. I was down in Florida watching uh, one of my boys playing a college uh, event and I have not been on a plane since I returned from Florida. I was supposed to go back down there and then then on to spring training again. This is the longest time in my adult life that I have not been on a plane. It's been two and a half months. So, um, yeah, and I, I know I know of what you speak. It's it's strange though being home every day. I want to take you way back. You you still live uh, in, in the Chesapeake part of Virginia, and uh, you were a three sport star, I believe. In high school, I know you were the you were the you were the not only the Virginia Gatorade Player of the Year, you were the National uh, Player of the Year coming out of high school. But I had I had to remember some of um, your accolades then, so I'm going to embarrass you for a moment. You were National Honors, <laughs> you were National Honor Society, you were Student Body President, National Player of the Year. Um, that those stuff, that's all well and good, but did you? Were you the prom king, and did you date the the prom queen? <laughs> I was not the prom king. I was not homecoming king. Um, and my girlfriend, I, I didn't have a girlfriend my senior year, so I, I, I wasn't taken. But um, the girlfriend I had my my junior year and on, she was she could have been for sure. But um, no, no, I was not the uh, the prom king and, and prom uh, homecoming king. Well, good, good. So you didn't, so you didn't have it all. You screwed something up in that process. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I've, t- I've told this story before, back when you were playing for the Rockies, is that had you not signed and you were top ten pick at, at a high school, and uh, I think you back then, uh, you, you waited a little bit, and you were going to go to Florida State. That was because so many people from your neck of the woods went to Virginia and, and played, you know, Reynolds and Zimmerman and some other guys. And you were going to go to Florida State because that was always your team, huh? Florida State was always my team. I, I loved them ever since I was like in seventh grade. And I ended up going to their 
camps, uh, started as a freshman, uh, going to their camps and went for three years and just loved them. Uh, Virginia, by the way, UVA, when I was getting recruited by, well, that, first of all, they didn't recruit me, but they were not very good. They were terrible, as, as a matter of fact. So, well, well, hold on one second. I got to interrupt for a second. You were the state player of the year. You were the national player of the year. You were a top 10 pick out of high school. Did they just think you weren't going to go there? Is that why they didn't recruit you? Yeah, that was exact. That was the reason why they didn't, they didn't recruit me. Cause I mean, like I said, they were not at that point, they were not very good. Okay. They still had the, they had the, the turf outfield. They had the grass infield. It was just, they had bleachers with their stadiums. And then, you know, they got some good, some good boosters. John Grisham and his son played there. They got, the stadium looking nice. They, they, you know, so they, they turned it around quite a bit when Zim and, and Reynolds and, you know, Chris Taylor, they all went to UVA and then kind of turned that program around. But uh, when I was getting recruited by them, they weren't good. Or I should say this. When I was going through the recruiting process, they were not right. very good. So Florida State was where I wanted to go, and it, it did. It, it took me – I had 12 hours before I was going to pack up my Jeep and drive down to Tallahassee and then um, – Ultimately, got a deal worked out. Yeah. Did you have opportunities to play football as well, collegially? You know, I, I got recruited, um, not not like heavily, but I got recruited by UNC, um, Naval Academy, Rutgers, a few, a few places. But you know, I wasn't a very good football player. I was I was a good athlete, but I wasn't a really good football player. We we. You know, I didn't get taught how to read defenses and things like that. I, I could throw the ball. I had a good strong arm. I could run a teeny bit. But, uh, you know, my football IQ was not, not, not anywhere near collegiate level. So you, so you get to the big leagues. It's a journey. And you look back now. You've had, you've had a few years to reflect. Is there anything individually that you, you wished you had an opportunity to attain? Are there, are there, were, were you ever a numbers guy? Uh, enough that boy, I wish I had accomplished this. Nah, man, that was that was never what motivated me. That was never what um, you know, never what did it for me. I, I never really cared about the accolades. You know, just being able to play in the big leagues was was awesome. Um, you know, I was very fortunate. The pinnacle of my career came a couple of years after I retired, and I got inducted into the Twins Minnesota Twins Hall of Fame. And in that speech. You know, what I talked about was the relationships and the relationships I was able to develop, the relationships I was able to form. That's what I remember the most. You know, memories on the field, games, at bats, uh, seasons, they flee pretty quickly out of your, out of your memory system. I, you know, I was, we were watching game 163 the other day against the Tigers, which was an epic game in 2009. I didn't remember 90% of it. But those relationships, the people, the people, the ushers, the the babysitters that took care of our kids, you guys, the media, the, those relationships are what I remember the most. And, you know, I just consider myself really fortunate to be able to cultivate a lot of those relationships and continue to have those relationships. And so, so to look back and say, do I wish I attained anything else? Nah, that wouldn't be fair at all because, you know, I've got what's more special than any number can provide me. I've got a lifelong friendship with a lot of people you're also and you referenced this earlier this is really unusual what you did you had a year left um on, on your contract with the Mets and you felt uh and I'll let you tell the story that it was time 
and you left uh, you know a large sum of money that you know you could have had on the table. What was the process when you sat down and discussed that with with Claudia and and take us through that if you would? So when I I was obviously we we talked about it. I didn't go to college. I was drafted out of high school and signed out of high school. So right then and there at 18 years old, I made a promise to myself always be a good self-evaluator. Always at the end of each season evaluate where I am in my career and and move forward because I didn't want to be you know, 26 years old and be a career AAA player and then lose my opportunity to you know, go back to college and, and get into a new career a, a little sooner than I probably could have. So I, I always promised myself at that young age to do that. Fortunately, I didn't have to look in the mirror until I was 37 and realize, you know what, I'm done. I mean, I'm just uh, – it's not fair to myself. It's not fair to my family. It's not fair to the Mets for me to play this next year because I, physically, mentally, and emotionally, I just wasn't there anymore. And, um, you know, and I, I've never been one to look back. I, if I make a decision, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with that decision. I'm going to – I am going to attack it from every angle before I make the decision, and I did that, and I, I gave it a few weeks. But I, I just realized it, my heart and my, my body and my mind, it just wasn't going to be in it anymore. And therefore, I made that decision. And, um, you know, I, I, I talked it over with Claudia, but I didn't really ask her permission or anything like that because, you know, I, I, like I said, if I was going to make the decision, I was going to make the decision. Do you think for most guys that are fortunate enough like yourself to have a great career and play a long, long time, which goes – sooner is it is it the physical ability cutty to play the game or is it the mental side of it because anybody that's played this game at any level knows this this sport torments you and you you know you you can you can have a great weekend and you're and you're seven for 12 but you know there's a one for 15 around the corner and how you deal with that which which side goes first typically well that's a great question and um you know i can tell you that at the end of each season i try to break it down into three separate parts, mentally, physically, and emotionally. I felt like if I, if I had two of those three, those two of those three can overcome the one that I lost. So if at the end of the season physically I'm just beat up, but I still love the game and I was still mentally sharp, well, I could, I could recover in the offseason. I felt like if I, my body felt good, but I was just fried mentally, but I still love the game. I could overcome that as well. I, I could get recharged. That year after 2015, and we had just gone to the World Series and just played in my first ever World Series, all three of them. I didn't have all three of them. So I can't tell you which one left first, but I will say they all three were, were absent at the end of that season, and that ultimately was what led to my decision. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, you you always had a reputation, not surprisingly, as being a great teammate. I know in addition to your prowess on the field, one of the reasons that, that Dick Monfort and Dan O'Dowd wanted you to be a Rocky is uh, what you would bring to the clubhouse. I'm guessing you were always that guy, but I'd rather have you talk about the evolution of, of who you were as a as a player when people didn't see you. Uh, i.e. in the clubhouse, in the weight room, in the cage underneath? Well, I, I was very fortunate professionally to come up with a lot of really good people, a lot of really good mentors and, and examples of how to carry yourself, whether it's LaTroy Hawkins or Torrey Hunter or Corey Kosky. You know, so these guys really showed me what it was like to be a professional. 
and you know, and not only that, but be authentic. And I think that's the biggest thing when we talk about leadership. And you talk about being a leader. You don't see too many leaders are fake. You know, not they're not they're not faking it. You know, they're not trying harder than they than they need to be. The good leaders are just they're they're themselves. They're themselves all the time. And I think that's the type of person that people want to be around. They want to be around authenticity. And I always tried to be authentic. I always tried to be who I was. I tried to be a role model for younger people. And then when I had kids, I tried to be a role model for my kids. Um, but more than anything, I just tried to be myself and, and not make mistakes. And I think that's the other thing, too, is I, I, I tried to do everything. Uh, I tried to make good decisions. And, um, you know, whether that's being a leader or not being a leader, it worked out, and, and, you know, people tended to want to be around me because of that. But, you know, I, I want to be around, and it's infectious when people are themselves and authentic, and, and that's the type of person I want to be around. Yeah, that's that's well put. So what's on the menu uh, the next five years? When, when we check back, uh, do, you, do you have a game plan three years, five years from now? Well, you know, my son's in sixth grade, so five years, man, he'll be going, he'll be a junior. My girls will be going into middle school. Um, you know that they're gonna they're gonna be putting a lot on my plate at that point. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we'll see we'll see where that takes me. That's that's it. The first and foremost is being a good dad, being a good husband. Um, then everything else can come after that. Very, I'm very fortunate to have been, you know, been blessed in many ways professionally to be able to now devote most of my time and my mind to uh, to my family. You, you, your son loved baseball still, I assume. He does. He does. He loves. He loves competing. He just loves playing, man. He loves basketball, baseball, golf. He he just, you know, he loves being active. Um, loves doing sports. Good deal. I'll leave you with this. It's a prediction. Uh, we talked earlier about the ongoing negotiations as of uh, this Tuesday night that we're taping this. We going to see Major League Baseball in five six weeks. I do think we will. I, I really do. I really believe that. Uh, you know, we'll be able to they'll be able to work it out some way, somehow. I don't know what it's gonna look like, but um but I do think we're gonna see it in, in one form or another. All right. Hey bo- hey, one one last one because I like so I meant to ask you this one. Of all the great athletes that have uh, emanated from that that portion of Virginia, from Michael Vick to yourself to Zimmerman to David Wright and on and on, Mark Reynolds, uh give me the top three athletes ever to come out of that region. Athletes, you know, I'm going to tell you the number one. This guy played in the NFL for a little bit, but as far as being a high school athlete, Ronald Curry was the best guy I've ever seen. Okay, you know, he was the, the national. He's talking about being a national player of the year. He was the national player of the year in football and basketball his senior year. Um, went to UNC, and you know, he had a somewhat of a decent NFL career, but uh, you know, amateur wise, he was the best athlete I've ever seen. Number two. Allen Iverson, he was probably number two as far as athletes, and number three, and Michael Vick. But I mean, they're like all—it's like one A, one B, and one C. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can imagine. Did you play against uh, any of those guys in football? I did not play against Vick. I played against Curry, and I was a year. Uh, so Iverson was a senior when I was an eighth grader. So I was a year after him. He was an, un- from what I understand, he was an unbelievable option quarterback. He was incredible. I mean, he was absolutely incredible. 
Yeah. Great stuff. Hey, Cuddy, it's always good catching up. I appreciate your time. Uh, stay well and, uh, and my best to your family. I look forward to uh, chatting again at some point in the not too distant future. Absolutely, Drew. Anytime, man. I'm here for you. That interview brought to you by Ideal Home Loans. My girl Kadire is one of those, I think, special kind of guys because he's going to have, always have opportunity. He's got, you know, great personality, good guy, really bright, very well connected. If he decided to go into baseball, into a front office role, do you think that would suit him? Absolutely. He, he truly, Julie's one of those people that, uh, you know, you work with Dave Logan and Dave's an old friend of mine. And Dave's one of those guys that everything he's ever done, he's done well. You know, he was obviously a phenomenal athlete. He was a good drummer. I don't know if you've ever picked his brain about that um, from a musician standpoint. You know, he's been a terrific broadcaster, obviously a very good coach as well. Well, Michael's the same way. Michael, you know, was a tremendous baseball player, obviously, Mm -hmm. uh, but he would be a terrific broadcaster. He's dabbled a little bit in that. I'll tell you a story about his front office acumen. I remember having a conversation with him. Every once in a while, he'd bring up, you know, a player or two, not necessarily, uh, you know, on the Rockies, but people he was involved with. And he had a really good read on who that player was. And, and, and I'm not talking about necessarily established players, like young players, and and had a really good feel for how it potentially would work out with certain guys from a talent standpoint, from a makeup standpoint. And that is a combination of a gift of being cerebral, of uh, understanding environment, of reading more than how a guy swings a bat in a cage or how he fields a ball, just how he conducts himself. And those are those are things that you know every valued member of a front office hopefully has because Mm -hmm. you're making decisions and sometimes decisions that cost a lot of money and you can't simply base it just on, okay, he throws 95 and it looks like he has a pretty good slider. It it, it has to go way beyond that. So if he were to, you know, dive in to the deep end of the pool, which requires a lot of time, uh, he would be, he would be great at it, Julie. But I, but I also know, and you could hear it, in listening to to Michael that, you know, he is a family first guy. He's been very fortunate that he made a lot of money playing the game and, and his kids are in, you know, sixth grade and second grade right now. So uh, his twins are, are the youngest. So I, you know, I, I can't imagine him doing that until they're, you know, maybe in college, but he's a guy that his, his name will, it's not, he's not going to be one of those guys, Julie, that you go, whatever happened to that guy? He, you're, you're going to hear from him. You know, another thing interesting about that interview is he comes from a very talented region, right? That Chesapeake, uh, Virginia section, it seemed like every other baseball player was from there and they all knew each other. The Upton brothers are from there. Uh, BJ and, and Justin. In fact, when BJ was playing famously with, Oh man, was it was it David Wright and Kadire and all those guys? Justin Upton was the bat boy, and he ends up being the first pick in the draft a few years later. And you you know you heard him mention they had Allen Iverson, they had Michael Vick, uh, Michael Curry. They're all from from down there. I don't know what's in the water, Julie, but a whole lot of talented athletes come out of that part of the world. That is pretty awesome. All right, I'm going to throw a curveball at you. You mentioned Dave, do podcast with Dave, and we were talking about. I don't know how we start talking about this, Drew, but like getting in trouble growing up. And I found out that Dave, when he was a senior, he 
he and his friends painted the school. Well, the police objected to that and, you know, he got in trouble. I had my own little brush with painting the school. Did you ever get in trouble like that growing up? I would assume the answer is yes. Oh, man, I got in a lot of trouble. Let me, uh, you mentioned painting. Yeah. So the first painting story, we had this, we had this business, this landscaping slash painting business in the summer. And it was me and three buddies. And we were standing with like pitchforks and shovels in suits on a big dirt pile. And Uh we called it a touch of class. And we had the audacity to say we had 20 years of combined experience because, you know, we've done some stuff in the summer for a couple of years. So we said, oh, well, everybody's done about five years. That's 20 plus years. And then we stuffed people's mailboxes with it. Right. Uh And so I remember we, we, you know, we did a decent job and, and stuff, but we're 17 years old. And I remember there was one house that we were supposed to do the trim on the house. And I grew up kind of in the woods. And we were supposed to do three coats of the trim, like, you know, one and then the next day we come back, you do it again. The third day you come back. Right. Uh Well, there was a portion of the house, Julie, that was like it backed into the woods. There's nobody would ever walk back there. Nobody would ever see anything back there. It was even hard to get back there. We had to do it from, you know, from the roof and and then kind of hang over the side. So. We basically did maybe a coat and a half on that section. Mm-hmm. And when it came time to get paid, they they must have really done a good job of looking back there. And they said, hey, we don't like how that back section looks. So we're shorting you guys like a few hundred dollars. And <laughs> so we kind of got we kind of got caught on that. And my buddy's like, All right, we're not even going to argue. We'll just take what they pay us and we'll get it. We'll get the heck out of there. Right. Um, that was one. I have I have. But you've never been in, you never had any brushes with the law. I'm I'm pretty shocked. I'm I gonna... I honestly yeah. I mean, I've gotten pulled over, you know, speeding. I've gotten pulled over, um, but never. I've never wore bracelets. I've never spent. <laughs> yeah. I never have. Oh, that's that's one way of putting it. Okay. Have you? No, I've never worn bracelets. No. Okay. I just was curious. I just was curious. Well, I'll try. You know, we got, we'll have to do it another time because you kind of caught me off guard with this. The worst things you've ever done. No, I don't want to ever do a show on the worst things you've ever done. That you're willing to share. Exactly. No, it has, there has to be the caveat. Not the worst things you've ever done. The worst things you've ever done that you're willing to share. Yes. If baseball doesn't yeah. come back, that will be the name of our show. Yeah. That's, that's Hang in there, Drew. Yeah, I will. I will. You do the same. And um, you, hey, listen, are, do you are, do you look the same? I haven't seen you uh, in months. You haven't like had a full makeover or anything. Like um, that. My hair is blonder. I'm not going to lie. Really? Yeah. That happens, though, with you in the summer, doesn't it? Yeah. And some hair dye. But once some yeah. hair dye. Do you? Look- well, I, feel, I, I still um, don't have as much hair as I used to. But you've got a great personality. Wink, wink. I know. And listen, I know. I know you're holding in the laughter after running that line. Julie, have a wonderful week, and everybody stay safe, stay well, and we'll chat again next week. Bye.